Take up the, uh, the battle. Take it up. It's yours. This is your life. This is your world. I'll be leaving it long before you under the ordinary set of circumstances. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its dream. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Rise. Aloha. Welcome to Rise Up. This is episode two, and today we're going to kind of do a history lesson, a little bit of taking us back in time and talking about one of the great leaders of this country, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the 32nd president. Some of the ideas and concepts that he wanted to see enacted for our country post-World War II and his foresight to see some of the issues that we're dealing with today. Um, we're going to go ahead and dive into that and then uh, break those different parts of his proposal, the second Bill of Rights. We're going to break into that and we're going to discuss that and see how the implementation of that could have effectively avoided a lot of the current struggles that we are having today in society. So please join me and uh, let's have this discussion. Um, if you're new to the platform, this is going to be me just talking and voicing my opinions and my thoughts around the subject matter in hopes and anticipation that you'll join in. We have a phone number that you can call into and you can give us your thoughts, your criticisms, your opinions, suggestions for future episodes, whatever you want. We want you to join us in this discussion as we move forward. You can get a hold of that number by calling 360-859-9934. When those messages come in, I will make sure that I get to them promptly and we can address whatever it is you uh, bring up in that phone call on the next episode. And if you want to be anonymous, feel free just to leave that anonymous. If not, I'll do a shout out. I'm happy to bring you into the community. Uh, Rise Up is about building community, strengthening our society by working together, because we are better together. And if we heed the wisdom of our predecessors and find the lessons in the silver linings that they provided us, I think we can uh, see a little more hope for our future than uh, is presently portrayed in the propaganda machine that is the media. So let's dive in, shall we? So a little bit of background on FDR or Frank Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our 32nd president. He is a relative of Teddy Roosevelt, uh, fifth generation removed from him. He ran as a Democrat and he is just a pillar of the American spirit, a fighter. Uh, he suffered from polio in the 20s and determined he used uh, pool therapy to regain the use of his legs. There's even an instance in the 1920s where he came out and support of another political ally, and he came out on crutches to do so. Unfortunately, the issues with his health relations uh, end up taking him far too early um, in his life, but 
he does give us the time and the efforts to bring us out of the Great Depression and to see us through World War II. So I, I look at him as a fantastic example of what leadership is. We're in so much of a similar state a hundred years later, and uh, maybe we should re resurrect those things and see them rise up into our current conversations. In 1944, as World War II kind of came to a closing, FDR came out and during his State of the Union address, he proposed a second Bill of Rights. He saw that the world was changing rapidly and in order to adequately adapt to these changes, we needed to provide another level of human rights for the citizens of the United States of America, regardless of your race, status, or creed. I'm gonna read through these one by one, and then we'll kind of break them down and see how they relate to today's issues and what, if, if they were implemented, how they could have provided us with a little more security than we have now. The first of which is the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. The right of every businessman, large or small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment. The right to a good education. This extra layer of rights and freedoms that he wanted to lay forward for our country and the people of America were very, just showed a really insightful vision and foresight by this amazing leader of ours. And I find it very alarming and disheartening that we didn't heed this information and that it's not really prevalent. You don't learn about the second bill of rights in school. You're not being told about this by our politicians when they're running for office. This isn't something that is part of the narrative we are getting from the people speaking on behalf of our nation on these gigantic platforms. Well, we're going to change that here. We're going to talk about it today. So let's start with the first one. Uh, we're going to kind of mix and match. They're not going to go in order of the way I read them. But uh, they're going to try to pair them together so they make a little bit of sense. So the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. Let's do a little uh, vocab. Remunerative equals lucrative which means producing a great deal of profit, and profit is obtaining a financial advantage or benefit, especially from an investment. This is one of the main issues that we're talking about today in a lot of different avenues with employment uh, post-COVID and you know as things develop. But I think it... it it really rings true when you think about it, like remunerative, lucrative uh, profit, that value. What is the value for my time? 
working a full-time job, you're putting in 40 hours of your week. The total number of hours in a week is 168 hours. So you're giving literally a quarter of your time every week to go produce for an employer something that gains him value or them value in return for a wage. Now this wage should equal something that is profitable that can then in turn lead you to the second of the rights, which is the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. So we're gonna break that down. Like, where are we with that? When we put in 40 hours a week and work a full-time job, giving a quarter of our complete hours of the week, do we end up recovering a profitable scenario that values that time to provide us with adequate necessities for survival and raising our family, along with providing recreation. Now, that really doesn't seem like it's uh, coming across uh, at all here when we're dealing with these scenarios. We're looking at it and we're seeing quite a lot of people that are burned out. There is a lot of burnout going on in this country. And when you look at the statistics, it's not really hard to see why. There's a study that shows the United States average worker is working 17,600, uh, 1,767 hours per year. That is 435 more hours a year than people working in Germany, 400 more hours than people working in the United Kingdom, 365 more hours than those working in France. The only countries that are working more than us are Chile, Mexico, Israel, Korea, Costa Rica. We're, we're working at an incredible rate comparatively with the rest of the world, and we're supposedly the richest nation in history. Our, pro our productivity is 430% higher than 1950, and our workers are not making an adequate portion of that productivity. They're just working more, and the CEOs and the people on top are collecting the profits off of the back of the people producing. That, that, that it just, it drives people into a negative space. And we look around in society and we see divisiveness, we see vitriol, we see survival stress hormones living in real time through the actions of people and we're, we'll get into that later on in the episode and uh, kind of understand how the lack of having this second bill of rights has affected us as a society and as a community and it has affected us for the negative get into the right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. Again, into the value, into putting in your time to have a decent living. Like farming is a fantastic living. Shout out to all the people out there working the land, putting in the hard physical labor out there and producing a necessary resource for people to survive. They're an integral part of our communities. And as a society, we are not allowing them to have that opportunity to pass on to their children to continue because they're being priced out. They can't afford their land. They're not able to recoup enough funds due to 
issues surrounding the climate change and the effects that disaster has on them because we're not enabling protections to adequately assist them in that lifestyle which is necessary for us to survive as a civilization what's happening on the back end of that is you have big corporations coming in and taking advantage of the opportunity to buy up this farmland um, one of the hot topics in the interwebs is that Bill Gates is trying to buy all of everyone's land which is not true he does own a substantial amount of farming acreage it's it's somewhere in the 200 300 thousand acres of farmland in the country but when you compare that to the 800 million acres of farmland we have in our country you know it, it's a small percentage but he's not the only person doing that there is big money in owning the food supply for a country and these people that are already well-to-do see that opportunity and are coming in and taking it from these hard-working American people that are out there busting their butt to provide us our nutrients and our, our sustenance and we, we're just sitting here oblivious to it we're not talking about it we're not putting in effective resource measures to protect these people and to make it so that you know they don't have to worry about you know having a lifestyle and making a decent living this is what fdr was trying to say he was trying to say hey look we need to enact this as a right if you're a farmer and you are raising and selling products you will be able to survive because that is part of a community that is necessary that respect and showing that value through our efforts to establish those securities is integral and we failed to do so. This kind of correlates into the next one, the right of every family to a decent home. Well, I'm sure people my age, I'm 38, we got people out here trying to start their families and work forward and you know do what you were told. Work hard, get a job, get a house, find security, it'll build equity. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not a millionaire. It costs four to five times the amount to buy a house today than it did for my parents. They bought a house, three bedroom house with a fence and a yard for like 60 grand. I bought a townhome for 240. It has no yard. It is disheveled. I'm having to deal with HOA nightmare after nightmare. And I paid four times what they did. I could have bought like a freaking small cul-de-sac. I'm not getting the same value that they did. And that isn't fair. And I'm also buying into housing that has been constructed in a way that it's falling apart. There are no safety regulations on how these construction companies are really going about putting these places together. At least there wasn't um, in 1970, 1980, 1999, 2000. It wasn't until the early 2000s that we really started enabling and like helping out the people purchasing houses by putting in regulatory systems for the construction workers when they build these houses. But even that's inadequate at this point because we're still building houses that aren't mandatorily being built with sustainable energy, with uh, sustainable materials. We're not taking advantage of the knowledge we have when it comes to the benefits of hempcrete. I mean, hempcrete, it is non-flammable, it's pest resistant, it has a stronger capacity than regular concrete, and it's completely renewable. We're not taking advantage of these things and building decent homes for people. 
our housing issue with homeless people, if we would have listened to FDR, it wouldn't even be a thing. It wouldn't exist because it would be a right for these people to have a decent home, to be able to have shelter. And instead, what we have is we have a system that has enabled big corporate America to come in and purchase these houses because we can't afford, I can't afford to go buy a $600,000 place or a million dollar home, which is what it costs in Bellingham just to buy a home. There was a 600, just down the road from me, 610 square foot home on a nice piece of land. It was 600,000 plus dollars for 600 square feet. I can't afford that. I, I have no concept of how you're supposed to make that happen. And it's not fair. You're just enabling the rich to take more control of the shelter supply. So now they control the food supply. They're gonna control the shelter supply. And we're just moving forward with this same cycle of not having control over our lives and not having a fair, adequate society for those after us. I think we need to really consider the second Bill of Rights and where it's going. It's really insightful. The next one is the right of every businessman, large or small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. Well, as I just discussed, we are dealing with an unfair competition for our food and for our housing. But that same unfair competition is going on for the people trying to live the American dream and build up a respectful business for themselves and their families. I myself currently am working on building up a CBD topical business. But as I'm doing so, I am going up against multi-million dollar businessmen and women and corporations that are trying to do the same thing. They have advantages that are, it, it, it's, it's daunting. I feel like David going against 50 Goliaths, and I don't have but one sling. And I'm not the only one. I look around, all these people trying, especially post-COVID. Uh, I live in Bellingham, and our local vibe is, it's falling apart. We're losing numerous local businesses just because they can't afford to pay their employees adequate wages. They can't afford the rent as it goes through the roof. And then you've got these major corporate brands that it's a drop in the bucket for them. Coming in and taking over beautiful Bellingham. Shout out the ham. Love my hometown. But our, our culture and our society up here is, is slowly deteriorating to these unfair advantages that are being given to monopolies and corp big corporate entities. They've also got control over people and their medical care. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. It's supposed to be a right given to us by the government, according to the Second Bill of Rights, gifted to us by FDR. But what has happened is big corporation, they use it to enslave you to your job because you don't want to quit your job because uh, if I quit, then I won't have my health care. And then my son Johnny over here won't be able to go in to the doctor and have his needs taken care of. Or my wife won't be able to, you know, have the baby and I'll have to pay all the hospital bills. So this fear mechanism is controlling people to stay in jobs they don't want to be in that aren't adequate for them that aren't remunerative or lucrative and useful to their life it's counterproductive people want to have purposeful meaningful jobs they don't want to go work jobs that don't enhance their well-being and help them feel good we're getting stuck in this cycle of economic slavery and being controlled at every single opportunity. 
by big corporations and the capitalist monster that we have enabled. The right to adequate protection from economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment. These just roll so seamlessly together. Economic fears hold us to jobs we don't want. They have our grandparents and our elderly working into their 70s. Some of them homeless on the street. They're afraid of everything because they can't afford to move forward in life joyfully, gracefully, and have the time to share that wisdom and pass things along because they don't know if they're going to get enough from their social security to afford to go grocery shopping. And then, lo and behold, as they get older, sickness. We haven't taken care of them by providing adequate health care. A majority of people in this country can't afford a $500 emergency bill. A majority. $500 emergency bill? My dog got sick a few weeks ago and it cost me $500. And I know the stress that caused because we had to dip in to money we shouldn't been dipping into. But you know what? I love my doggy. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to do that. But that fear and that stress and that driving force behind the atmosphere that society has created for us to live in that affects people in numerous ways, not only in the present, but in the future. We know that stress affects your immune system. And in living in a world where COVID and SARS and, and monkeypox and whatever next zoo animal wants to jump up and grab a hold of people exists. We need to be able to take time off of work. We need to know that we're gonna be taken care of by our community and by the people that are standing side by side with us and stressing out over the same things. We are not so divided. We are fighting the same battles and we are arguing amongst each other when we should not be we should be looking at the people making decisions who don't have to deal with these struggles and aren't afraid of the things we're afraid of and telling them, not asking them, telling them, do this. Make this happen. Enough is enough. We have leadership that we can turn to and you can go on YouTube and you can hear FDR give the speech. You can see him do it. It's, it's, it's right there, readily available for you. Just go ahead and Google FDR, Second Bill of Rights, go to videos, and watch him do his thing. Miraculous, man. Miraculous. Now this rolls into something that I think is absolutely pivotal and if implemented would have easily made the second bill of rights a reality the right to a good education educated people are going to see how everything ties together you're going to extend people's foresight they're not just going to be looking directly in front of them, they're going to understand the importance of foresight, having a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, not only for your business, for yourself, for your children, but for your community. When an education is withheld and dampened, you get people stuck thinking about the right now, I need this now, and they're not able to forecast their tomorrows. And you have big corporations who, that's their thing. They're, they're always thinking long-term because they wanna know that eventually 
John the farmer won't be able to buy this acre. Like, we're looking at his numbers, and in about five years, he's going to be broke. We're going to come in, and we're going to buy that land for uh, killing, and then we're going to own all of Nebraska, and everyone's going to get their beef from us. They have these long-term mentalities and forecasts because, obviously, their kids go to Ivy League, they can do this, and they can keep propagating this group, their own community of people that has that type of mindset. Well, that's okay. We're in a society now where we, we, we have communication. We have the ability to educate each other in a communal way. And together, we can be better. We can be better than this lineage of leadership that is about holding us back. And we can break free now. That's what we're doing here. We're having discussions about how we can achieve a global community that benefits us all. Democracy requires a good education. There is no way in the history of this country we have ever had a democracy. Democracy requires an educated populace with easy access to voting. Because how can you make decisions about political and societal issues if you don't understand them. That's what you see around us. It's not only gerrymandering like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna move this district around so these people over here that don't know shit are gonna vote this way, and these people over here that do know, we're gonna break them up into different cycles and stop them from, you know, mounting a party that'll break up big corporations control over our farmland, our housing, our ability to work in a fair, competitive environment. They are using hundreds and hundreds of years, if not thousands, of psychological like tactics in order to manipulate us against each other so that they can continually gain more control over the, necessi the necessary resources we need to survive as a species. And if you look around, this is what you see today. Everyone on the news, everything's so bad, gun shootings, school shootings, people out there committing crimes and absolutely acting like animals. Well, that's, I, at this point, I don't, it's hard for me to look at these people. Yes, I condone these actions. I do not believe that is the proper way for us to function as a society. But at the same time, I understand that we are human beings and we are being put into a survival instinct on so many levels. And I'm not able to step inside everyone's shoes and say, I know what happened to you yesterday and through your time. I know how hard it has been. I know where you're coming from. I know where I'm coming from. And I know at times I have felt helpless. I have felt hopeless. I actually suffer from seizures that are based off of the survival instinct. I'm kind of like a fainting goat which is absolutely ridiculous, but it's the best way to describe it for people. When something really stressful or anxious happens, my body freezes up and I fall to the ground. And it's really an interesting event. It scares a lot of people. But that survival instinct is in all of us, fight or flight. My body says, fall down and play possum because I've just had too much. There's a lot in my life. Uh, I touched on it in episode zero, but I mean, I touched on it. We didn't grab it. We didn't massage it. There's layers to that that, you know, if you want to talk to me, we can get into. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions about that at 360-859-9934. We'll dive into that in another episode. I have no issues. I am an open book. You want to talk about something, I'll give it to you, and I will hold nothing back. But our survival instinct... When the human brain senses danger, it triggers stress hormones that initiate physiological changes 
to prepare the body to either get away from danger or to fight it. So we've got what is, you know, going to trigger those things. Well, a lack of shelter to take care of your family and yourself. An inability to get sustenance and food. Or the resources that it takes to do those things. We are being put in a base nature survival instinct mode in mass across this country. At least 60% plus of this country unknowingly is in a survival instinct. They can't afford a $500 emergency bill. Now, the wisdom that was shared upon us from FDR was that he saw this coming. He understood that this was going to happen if we didn't implement a system of guaranteed rights for people so that we could move forward and evolve as a society. I do recommend watching that entirety. Um, There's a two-minute clip on him just announcing the second Bill of Rights, but I recommend watching the entire State of the Union. It's... It's, it's great to see leadership like that. A man that would take time regularly and do what he called fireside chats and spend time with the people. It's amazing that somebody in the 1940s was able to accommodate in that fashion. Yet today, as I give this podcast to you, we don't have a president that's able to just have a regular podcast to speak to the people and have this conversation that we're generating here on Rise Up. Like, that's what I'm looking for personally. I'm looking for leadership that has an untangible soul that still touches me. They can reach out through the technology and the resources we have and let me feel heard. Let me have a platform to sit with them. Because the way I see it is they're just an orator for what the people want. They're not there to make decisions based upon what they see fit. They are there to make decisions based on what we see fit. This is why episode one was on incentivized politics. So that we can have a discussion about how we get these leaders to be incentivized to make decisions that benefit us collectively moving forward. This is why they shouldn't make more money than the average people. So that when they go and they're looking at these situations, they're looking at this second bill of rights and they're like, eh. they understand why it's needed. They understand why we need to raise minimum wage because guess what? That's going to get them a raise. You want to raise? You raise the middle class because you are tied to the middle class economically. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why or how we got here. I try to spend a lot of time looking at historical figures that I feel have helped us move forward in a benevolent, generous, uniting type way. Uh, I see FDR as one of my paramount leaders for the United States of America. Uh, along with quite a few others. But we're going to focus on him today. I'll have time to go into the others later. But uh, if you know me, you know there's a few that are on top of my list. Uh, If you want, you can go ahead and listen to Magnetic Tape. That is on my Audius site, as well as studiostargazer.org. Just go on the Stars tab look up Ribo and play Magnetic Tape. That'll give you a really good idea of who I am, what I am looking to achieve with this podcast and with anything I do. 
as a human being. I feel that it is my purpose and what drives me to feel valued to be a better person daily than I was yesterday. To help use my perspective to help other people and to listen to other people and to take what they have to say and give them the time and show them that I value them. So again, I ask you, I plead with you, please call me, comment, DM me, however you know how to contact me, and let me hear from you. You're gonna help me be better, and I hope that I can help you be better, because I know in my heart that we are all better together. We've shown that through history, in my opinion, that it is a fact. So, go home, have a discussion with your loved ones, talk to them about how we deserve better, and we can get it if we work together and have discussions about things and find middle ground. Again, you can call if you want to join in on the conversation and be a part of the next episode with a shout out or just anonymously. Call at 360-859-9934. This podcast is obviously sponsored by Rise CBD, where we use time-tested, Mother Nature-approved ingredients to provide a holistic approach to what your body needs. You can find us at risecbd.com. That is R-Y-E-S-C-B-D.com. As always, this is a Studio Stargazer production. You can find uh, them at studiostargazer.org. S-T-U-D-I-O-S-T-A-R-G-A-Z-E-R.org. We're looking to keep this conversation going. If you want to join us in further activities, we have a lot of stuff going on in the studio. We're going to be producing some audio content, doing audio plays. We're looking for voice actors of any kind. If you just want to be a part of it, you know, shoot us a, shoot us a line. We can find a place for you in something and just give you something fun and creative to do. Let that imagination stir. And maybe it's something that really brings new life to you. We want to, we want to bring you into the community. There are no borders here. Our community is global. We're all going to have to live here together. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your consideration and compassion. I love you. And I look forward to hearing from you and continuing these conversations as we move forward. Aloha. My friends, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. To talk with the comparatively few who understand the mechanics of banking, but more particularly with the overwhelming majority of you who use banks for the making of deposits and the drawing of checks. I want to tell you what has been done in the last few days and why it was done and what the next steps are going to be. I recognize that the many proclamations from state capitals and from Washington, the legislation, the treasury regulations and so forth, couched for the most part in banking and legal terms, ought to be explained for the benefit of the average citizen. I owe this in particular because of the fortitude and the good temper which everybody has, with which everybody has accepted the inconvenience and the hardships of the banking holiday. And I know that when you understand what we in Washington have been about, I shall continue to have your cooperation as fully as I have had your sympathy and your help during the past week. First of all, let me state the simple fact that when you deposit money in a bank, the bank does not put the money into a safe deposit vault. It invests your money in many different forms of credit, 
in bonds and commercial paper and mortgages and in many other kinds of loans. In other words, the bank puts your money to work to keep the wheels of industry and of agriculture turning round. A comparatively small part of the money that you put into the bank is kept in currency, an amount which in normal times is fully sufficient to cover the cash needs of the average citizen. In other words, the total amount of all the currency in the country is only a comparatively small proportion of the total deposits in all the banks of the country. What then happened during the last few days of February and the first few days of March? Because of undermined confidence on the part of the public, there was a general rush by a large portion of our population to turn bank deposits into currency or gold. A rush so great that the soundest bank couldn't get enough currency to meet the demand. The reason for this was that on the spur of the moment, it was of course impossible to sell perfectly sound assets to the bank and convert them into cash, except at panic prices far below their real value. By the afternoon of March 3rd, a week ago last Friday, scarcely a bank in the country was open to do business. Proclamations closing them in whole or in part had been issued by the governors in almost all of the states. It was then that I issued the proclamation providing for the national bank holiday. And this was the first step in the government's reconstruction of our financial and economic fabric. The second step, last Thursday, was the legislation promptly and patriotically passed by the Congress confirming my proclamation and broadening my powers so that it became possible in view of the requirement of time to extend the holiday and lift the ban of that holiday gradually in the days to come. This law also gave authority to develop a program of rehabilitation of our banking facilities. And I want to tell our citizens in every part of the nation that the National Congress, Republicans and Democrats alike, showed by this action a devotion to public welfare and a realization of the emergency and the necessity for speed that it is difficult to match in all our history. The third stage has been the series of regulations permitting the banks to continue their function to take care of the distribution of food and household necessities and the payment of payroll. This bank holiday, while resulting in many cases in great inconvenience, is affording us the opportunity to supply the currency necessary to meet the situation. Remember that no sound bank is a dollar worse off than it was when it closed its doors last week. Neither is any bank which may turn out not to be in a position for immediate opening. The new law allows the 12 Federal Reserve Banks to issue additional currency on good assets, and thus the banks that reopen will be able to meet every legitimate call. The new currency is being sent out by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in large volume to every part of the country. It is sound currency because it is backed by actual good assets. Another question that you will ask is this. Why are all the banks not to be reopened at the same time? The answer is simple, and I know you will understand it. Your government does not intend that the history of the past few years shall be repeated. We do not want and will not have another epidemic of bank failure. As a result, we start tomorrow, Monday, with the opening of banks in the 12 Federal Reserve Bank cities. Those banks which on first examination by the Treasury have already been found to be all right. That will be followed on Tuesday by the resumption of all other functions by banks already found to be sound in cities where there are recognized clearinghouses. That means about 250 cities of the United States. In other words, we are moving as fast as the mechanics of the situation will allow us. On Wednesday and succeeding days, banks in smaller places all through the country will resume business, 
subject, of course, to the government's physical ability to complete its survey. It is necessary that the reopening of banks be extended over a period in order to permit the banks to make applications for the necessary loans, to obtain currency needed to meet their requirements, and to enable the government to make common-sense checkups. Please let me make it clear to you that if your bank does not open the first day, you are by no means justified in believing that it will not open. A bank that opens on one of the subsequent days is in exactly the same status as the bank that opens tomorrow. I know that many people are worrying about state banks that are not members of the Federal Reserve System. There is no occasion for that worry. These banks can and will receive assistance from member banks and from the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. And, of course, they are under the immediate control of the state banking authorities. These state banks are following the same course as the national banks, except that they get their licenses to resume business from the state authorities. And these authorities have been asked by the Secretary of the Treasury to permit their good banks to open up on the same schedule as the national banks. And so I am confident that the state banking department will be as careful as the national government in the policy relating to the opening of banks and will follow the same broad theory. It is possible that when the banks resume, a very few people who have not recovered from their fear may again begin withdrawal. Let me make it clear to you that the banks will take care of all needs, except, of course, the hysterical demands of hoarders, and it is my belief that hoarding during the past week has become an exceedingly unfashionable pastime in every part of our nation. It needs no profit to tell you that when the people find that they can get their money, that they can get it when they want it for all legitimate purposes, the phantom of fear will soon be laid. People will again be glad to have their money where it will be safely taken care of and where they can use it conveniently at any time. I can assure you, my friend, that it is safer to keep your money in a reopened bank than it is to keep it under the mattress. The success of our whole national program depends, of course, on the cooperation of the public, on its intelligent support, and its use of a reliable system. <clears throat> Remember that the essential accomplishment of the new legislation is that it makes it possible for banks more readily to convert their assets into cash than was the case before. More liberal provision has been made for banks to borrow on these assets at the reserve banks, and more liberal pro provision has also been made for issuing currency on the security of these good assets. This currency is not fiat currency. It is issued only on adequate security and every good bank has an abundance of such security. One more point before I close. There will be, of course, some banks unable to reopen without being reorganized. The new law allows the government to assist in making these reorganizations quickly and effectively, and even allows the government to subscribe to at least a part of any new capital that may be required. I hope you can see, my friends, from this essential recital of what your government is doing, uh, is doing, that there is nothing complex, nothing radical in the process. We have had a bad banking situation. Some of our bankers have shown themselves either incompetent or dishonest in their handling of the people's funds. They had used the money entrusted to them in speculation and unwise loans. This was, of course, not true in the vast majority of our banks, but it was true in enough of them to shock the people of the United States for a time into a sense of insecurity and to put them into a frame of mind where they did not differentiate, but seemed to assume that the acts of a comparative few had tainted them all. And so it became the government's job to straighten out this situation and to do it as quickly as possible and that job is being performed. 
I do not promise you that every bank will be reopened or that individual losses will not be suffered. But there will be no losses that possibly could be avoided. And there would have been more and greater losses had we continued to drift. I can even promise you, promise you salvation for some at least of the sorely pressed banks. We shall be engaged not merely in reopening sound banks, but in the creation of more sound banks through reorganization. It has been wonderful to me to catch the note of confidence from all over the country. I can never be sufficiently grateful to the people for the loyal support that they have given me in their acceptance of the judgment that has dictated our cause, even though all our processes may not have seemed clear to them. After all, there is an element in the readjustment of our financial system more important than currency, more important than gold, and that is the confidence of the people themselves. Confidence and courage are the essentials of success in carrying out our plan. You people must have faith. You must not be stampeded by rumors or guesses. Let us unite in banishing fear. We have provided the machinery to restore our financial system, and it is up to you to support and make it work. It is your problem, my friends, your problem no less than it is mine. Together, we cannot fail. Take up the, uh, the battle. Take it up. It's yours. This is your life. This is your world. I'll be leaving it long before you under the ordinary set of circumstances. Take up the battle is what she said. Hear the words and let them hold space inside your head. Miss Angelou, she surely knew that we know better. Now we must do better, as she also said. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. These are the words of Dr. King. Realize how time has passed and we have failed to let freedom ring. How we have failed to truly cast ourselves out of the issues long ago. It's time to rise up and show we care. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this. And know that the feeling is really good. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. We can stop when we want to. It's time to stop, 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 and fulfill Mr. Rogers' wish. To take care of each other and invite everyone to be our neighbor. And the fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. Works of love are works of peace. We have the technology to free us of work for monetary gain. Let us transition to work for love and see peace blossom. Labor Day symbolizes our determination to achieve that economic freedom for the average man, which will give his political freedom reality. Slavery has mutated since the dawn of humanity. It now takes shape through economic binds that hold us back from freedom. These are but a few clips of wisdom gifted to us over time. Listen to them. Feel them. Let them into your heart. We are creatures of love, compassion, and life. Our power for good is far greater than the forces of evil that stagnate our growth. The Rainbow Warriors are here, and we are going to show you how amazing we can be. I love you all, because you are you. Because together, what we can do. Hold strong. We got this. We got this.